Hello, welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers, and you can find me on LiveTo110.com, and you can find this video podcast on my YouTube channel, Wendy Live to 110. Today we have James Maskell on the podcast today. His websites are reviveprimarycare.com and functionalforum.com. And he's going to be talking today about some critical hot topics on functional medical care. And we're going to be talking about, you know, how you can really get to the root cause of your health issues using functional medicine. Please be advised that this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition, and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only, so please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatment that we suggest today on the show. James, thank you so much for coming on the show. Great to be here with you. Such a pleasure. What a beautiful place. Thank you. Thank you very much. We're at my home in Malibu. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into functional medicine? Well, I was the weird kid at school that did natural medicine. Um, I had a chiropractor and a homeopath, and I didn't really realize that was abnormal until I got to school and no one knew what a chiropractor was. And uh, yeah, I just that was my, my world until basically the hormones kicked in and you think your parents are insane and you sort of rebel. And my rebellious phase took me to being an investment banker um, straight out of university. I did economics and I was on the trading floor of one of the biggest banks in the world and just sort of had a moment of clarity that I was playing for the wrong team and that some of what I had learned growing up and just sort of my part of my life might be part of the solution to what is essentially the biggest problem in the world. If you take a step back and you say, well, what's what what is severely has the potential to hold mankind back and chronic illness is really is really that and uh through my economics training i just saw that america was spending so much money so much more than anywhere else and not getting any increases in longevity and actually moving down the scale in things like uh, infant mortality and so just sort of thought look if i'm going to do something with my life let's tackle something that's important and valuable so that was 10 years ago put myself right in the trenches of health creation, working with doctors and, and um, working in practices. And uh, yeah, over the last 10 years, and particularly over the last five years, really started to try and think, you know, I saw so many great results and so many patients being empowered and inspired and sort of the ripple effects outwards of, of really great medicine. And just thought, how can we bring this to more people? And that's in the last five years, our, our focus has really been on scale. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what exactly is functional medicine for any of the listeners who don't know what that is? So functional medicine is a, is a operating system of medicine that's very different from, from regular medicine. Um, it's really designed on a few different principles. One is that systems biology. So it's understanding instead of the way I like to think about it, Wendy, is that our medical system was really designed for acute disease. So it made a lot of sense in acute disease to categorize the body into geography. That's why you have an endocrinologist and a gastroenterologist and a um, rheumatologist. Uh, but what functional medicine focuses on is the interaction between systems. So it's got a basis in uh, systems biology. It's got a basis in food as medicine and understanding how lifestyle factors affect uh, affect health. It's got, uh, instead of 
necessarily just treating the symptom as the core thing to get rid of. Uh, doctors who do functional medicine will look at a pattern of symptoms over time to determine what a uh, root cause is. So I say when people ask me about functional medicine, I really think the best way to think about it is root cause resolution. So looking to understand what the root cause is. Now that might be, again, in in acute disease, it made a lot more sense to create a reactive system around one particular cause, whereas functional medicine is more a proactive system built around potential causes, potential triggers um, in the environment that I'm I'm sure your, uh, you know, your audience has become well aware of through your work. And it's, it's sort of like a formalization of that. And there's a lot of new science and um, exciting understanding of epigenetics and so forth that back up this type of strategy, but it's proving itself to be a really effective way of dealing with chronic disease. And that's why last year you saw uh, the Cleveland Clinic, which is traditionally one of the most conservative, maybe not the most conservative, certainly the most innovative um, health organizations out there build a new center for functional medicine because they saw they saw the power of it to really um, to reverse chronic disease in a way that's really not possible through biochemistry drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, so many people today, they go to their primary care physician, which is only the, the only care, you know, typically covered by insurance and they receive medications or surgery is the only resolution to essentially cover up their symptoms. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how our current healthcare system, how that's just not working? Yeah, look, I, th- I think the system was designed for acute disease. And that's, that's just obvious because that's what we had to deal with in the 20th century. What most, what gets most people frustrated, I think, is that the system is not evolving quickly enough to deal with these modern epidemics. We're still taking an acute disease approach to chronic disease. So, you know, the classic, I think the sort of the, the straw that's going to break the camel's back on all of this is autoimmune disease, where you see that we really understand now the causes of autoimmune disease and it happens over a period of time and it has a lot to do with genetic acceptability, meeting environmental triggers, meeting leaky gut. And so you have these three things happening together. And yet, if you go to see a regular doctor for the symptoms of your autoimmune disease, you really can't, um, you can't reverse it, you know, without understanding the core root cause of it. And so we're seeing people getting better from autoimmune diseases, you know, clearing up their lab work, uh, reducing their symptoms, the underlying function of their body coming back into, into play. And so that's, you know, that's where we see it. So I think functional medicine is sort of the operating system of a medical system that is designed to prevent and reverse chronic disease. I completely agree with you. I've had my own personal clients reverse autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, thyroiditis, simply by healing and sealing their gut, taking care of uh, gut dysbiosis and improving their their overall health of their body, improving their body's systemic functioning. And it's just, you're not going to find the answers in the traditional model uh, model of care. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. And people are, are becoming frustrated with it and are seeing it. But the, the good news is, is that there's a, an emerging class of physician and providers that are really getting this and understanding it. And what my role has become and what we've been doing with the Functional Forum and otherwise is really to accelerate this evolution of medicine. Find those providers that are ready to do this and give them a structure whereby which they can do it and deliver really high quality root cause resolution medicine to a a local community and take advantage of, of some of the 
you know, community and technological advantages that allow this to scale out so that everyone can afford it. I mean, if it's only for the richest 1%, it's not going to be good as well. And that's one of the things that functional medicine has to overcome. And that's part of what we're trying to do is like, how do we scale this out and systematize it so that it can be really available to every American and hopefully beyond. Yeah, that's the problem. Many people that will go to a functional Medicare, medical care specialist, a lot of the, the testing that they do, et cetera, are not covered by insurance yeah. because they're not deemed medically necessary. Uh, if a drug does not re- re- resolve the symptom, et cetera, can you talk a little bit about what you're doing to try to, uh, you know, integrate this functional medical care and perhaps get it covered by insurance so that more people can enjoy that? Yeah, I mean, look, there's different ways that you can take it. There's a lot of people who have been working for quite a long time to sort of put functional medicine as part of the system. My own feeling about it is a little bit more Bucky Fuller, where I think like you've got to create a new system that makes the old system obsolete. And if you look right now in publishing, you know, I saw this thing the other day. I'm sure your audience has seen it, like the biggest purveyor of um, accommodation in the world, Airbnb, you know, owns no properties. Yeah. You know, the biggest uh, taxi company in the world, Uber, has no cars. You know, so you're reaching another place where, where whole industries are just being changed overnight. You know, the publishing industry, um, books and movies and all of the media industries. And I think that's the model for health. And I think what we should really be looking at is say, look, no one else has any answers to chronic disease management. Every other organization, every other country, I grew up in the UK and people in America think, wow, if we only had a single payer system where they just paid for everything, we'd be fine. Well, you won't be fine because in the UK, it's the same cost, same people are getting sick with the same chronic diseases. And instead of you, your business and your government sort of splitting the bill, which is what happens here, you know, the government just pays for everything, but the government can't afford everyone's Hashimoto's thyroiditis, right? And it doesn't matter who's paying the bill, it's not going to be solved. And so what, what I'm interested in saying is, hey, look, we've got answers here. We've been at this for a while and medicine has made fun of this profession a lot. We're not going to integrate with you. We're going to build our own system and people. And I think the quality of the medicine plus the feeling of the medicine. Like the, one of the big things about functional medicine is that it's an interactive, it's a participatory partnership between patient and practitioner, which is completely new. And if you think about the cost of retooling a whole medical system from a doctor centric system to a patient centric system, there's so many skills that have to be learned and so forth. I'm thinking like, let's, this is what we've been looking at is really thinking about how do we, build this new model without having to take all of the cost and all of the structure across because it's so slow. And, you know, at the rate that chronic disease is increasing, there's going to be a tipping point where we can't afford it anymore. And so my goal is really to try and help to bring some structure to a core medical value proposition that is proving itself successful in the, in the sort of, in a, in the small test cases that it's having up until this point. I really like what you said about it's more of a patient-centric, uh, you know, what functional medicine is more involved with the patients, mm-hmm. that they have to take a much more participatory, um, uh, you know, effort in their care. Yeah. And I'm finding that as well in my own client base, they have to take a lot of personal responsibility in their own care. It's not just them uh, taking advice from their doctor and taking a medication. They have to take, a, an, a, you know, an effort, a big effort on their part to improve their own health 
health. And I think that's where we're going. I think patients have to take much more responsibility for their health and learning about their health conditions and taking supplements and more natural means to improve their health. Yeah, look, if you want a patient-centric medical system, the patient better do something because that's the end. I mean, look, what we're fundamentally changing is who's the hero of the story. You know, in the old medicine, the cute, it made total sense for the doctor to be the hero because they knew everything. They could be objective. And if you had an infection or if you got hit by a bus or otherwise, you don't want to be in charge. You don't want a patient-centric system in that system. However, when you're dealing with, you know, chronic diseases that are majoritarily driven by the patient in terms of like the lifestyle that got them there or the, you know, the underlying dysfunction that's at their control, um, you know, you, you have to involve the patient. So the future of medicine and chronic disease management, I feel, is not something that's going to be done to you. Yeah. You know, it's going to be something that you participate in. But people like that. People like that a lot more. They like being empowered. They like to be part of it. Initially, it's a bit of a shock because we've been pretty lazy as far as like what we had to do. But now once you get over that, it's actually a really empowering proposition because if you really, 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 really want to live to 110, you probably could. You just have to do something. Yes, you do. And knowledge is power. And that's why I created Live to 110 so that people can get all the information they need to heal their health conditions naturally through functional medicine. You have to start now. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about some of these similarities between functional medicine, holistic and integrative care? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a tricky thing because it's had different words over different times and, and words have been sort of bastardized as well. Like I love holism, the word holism to me, that just perfectly explains this. But if you use the word holistic in the wrong way, people have all kinds of ideas of what that means. To me, holism is, uh, you know, is just understanding the synergy between systems. Um, sort of what I was, you know, saying before there where, you know, the, where you're looking at how different systems interact and, you know, looking at the whole picture, the whole person. And so I think it's a, it's a good terminology, but I think, you know, it has, it's, it has its own baggage to deal with as far as what the name is meant. Integrative just means integrating different modalities. So you could have a, you know, Western psychiatrist with a meditation teacher and that would be integrative. You know, whether or not that would be holistic or functional medicine would not be functional medicine is more, it's more, it's a brand in a certain way where those are sort of just words and functional medicine refers to a very specific way of taking patients through a system. And so I think functional medicine in its own way has brought a sort of a leg- legitimacy and, um, a scientific, uh, understanding or a scientific basis by which to actually deliver this kind of medicine that I don't think holistic had before. And so that's why we called our thing the functional forum and not the, you know, integrative forum, uh, really because we just see how much momentum this functional medicine movement has right now and how well positioned it is to, you know, to take, to continue that momentum. Where can people find a functional medicine doctor like this? So if you're really interested in functional medicine, you can go to, you know, the Institute for Functional Medicine is what they train doctors. So that's uh, functionalmedicine.org. Um, at the moment, our focus with our business is really looking to work with those, uh, those doctors and sort of make it easy for doctors to switch across and do functional medicine. Um, you can go to my site, reviveprimarycare.com and there we have a practitioner finder on there. Um, but there's, you know, there's, there's a, quite a few different ways to do it. You know, I think in different naturopaths, naturopathic doctors actually, you know, deliver, um, 
medicine very differently. Some, you know, do a lot more scientific functional medicine. Some do a little less. And so there's a, there's a uh, sort of a bandwidth there, but I know a ton of very, very conscientious, very, very successful naturopathic doctors who get great results as well. And if you ask a naturopath, they'll sort of tell you that functional medicine is sort of just their medicine, just yeah. souped up a bit. And, uh, so I think, you know, naturopathic.org, you can find a naturopathic provider, but I think in all of those cases, the things that they're going to have in common, looking for the root cause, engagement with the patient, um, food is medicine, you know, really going aggressively after lifestyle and looking to, looking to work at that root cause level. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually kind of amused when I first went to a naturopathic doctor and received supplements instead of medication. Yep. I was uh, very, very happy about that because yeah. <laughs> I actually didn't know the doctor that I was going to was a naturopath okay. um, at that time. And I was very, very thrilled. Yeah. Well, you're certainly, you know, seeing that starting to happen as well. And I, I think in the next few years, what you'll start to see is, is, uh, you know, as you start to see that it, it will actually be more a part of medicine. And, you know, what's, what's really exciting about this, what's happening in sort of the grander picture as well. There's a lot of things that I feel are sort of happening to, you know, to propel this thing forward. And one of the things is this value based payments with Obamacare. So they're moving to a system. They say by 2018, 90% plus of payments will be based on value. And so I think that's a really, if you do want to stay inside the insurance model and you, I think that most providers who are delivering this kind of care, the value proposition is actually very, very strong and the results are very strong. And I think by a combination of tracking outcomes and, um, and systematizing what's really working, again, we'll be in a really, really strong position. And that's why I don't want to like just spend my time trying to get functional medicine into a system that is really not designed for. I mean, even the fee for service model, fee for service doesn't really, doesn't really, uh, it's not an environment where patients do their best work because, you know, everyone knows how to interact with a lawyer, right? You only use a lawyer for as little amount of time as you yeah. can because you know that you're on the clock. Mm -hmm. If you have that relationship with a doctor, are you fostering the best type of relationship where you know, God, if I have to go in, it's going to be another couple hundred bucks and then, you know, this on top and, you know, you're, you're potentially just, you know, putting money in your health at odds with each other. Yeah. And so that's why we've been really keen to communicate other business models for doctors where they can have, say, a membership or other types of ways in which, okay, I'm a member now. I get, I know where I get my value from and I don't think about money anymore. Now let's really just get focused on keeping me healthy. And so that's, that's some of the underlying structure that I think needs to change. But I think there's a ton of things that are happening. The digital health revolution, which by the way, you know, by the time everyone's got an Apple watch, they're going to want functional medicine because that's the only medicine that improves the numbers on the watch. Yeah. Everything else, <laughs> the doctors, you know, the doctors are trained in putting out fires. I would hope that we would get to a point where before the fire, the watch, and then you, you know, you're dealing with things upstream. So that's, you know, the, there's a lot of things that I feel are sort of playing towards this becoming the standard of care for primary care. Um, and I hope that. I'll be able to sort of make some serious impact on this in the next 20 years. So with all that you know, how is community being brought into the medical system? How can that be done? Yeah, so this has really got me got me thinking recently when I, I had an opportunity to do a TED talk and I was thinking about, you know, the 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 potential for what I what I felt was like the the core of all of this work. And I really felt like um if you look at what makes 
first of all, you got to start with where's the healthiest place in the world? Like where do people live consistently to 100 or 110 um, without the same incidence of chronic disease that we have here? And what do they have in common? And so that took me to the work with the Blue Zones of Dan Butner's work. It's really amazing. He identified a number of places in the in the world where people consistently live to 100. And it's in, there's actually one here in uh, Loma Linda, California, and then um, uh, in uh, Costa Rica and you know different areas around the world, Okinawa, Japan. And there's a lot of things that they have in common. They do eat a lot of plants and they have a you know healthy diet and we can talk about some other things. But the really most powerful thing that I thought was community. And if you think about medicine in, in the way that it is right now, there's no community, really. You see a doctor one-on-one. -on -one, you don't share your medical information with everyone. It's completely private. And that's, again, probably the way that you wanted it in an acute system. But the power of community is really, really valuable in keeping people well. And particularly what I would say is this sort of peer-to-peer -peer support. And so that's one of the things that we've been trying to think about. What's the best way to do it? But you can see it. Even brands are doing it. Just down here in Santa Monica, I was walking past Lululemon and they have a running club that meets at, um, you know, a couple times a week. And I saw a study recently that said groups of low income people, um, walking together in community. So 45 to 90 minutes, three times a week. The, their health results were so spectacular that if it was a drug, it would be a blockbuster drug. You know, the reducing blood glucose and waste and, and all these, all these different factors as a result of doing it. And it was one, because they were doing the exercise, but two, because they were doing it together in community. So we've been thinking a lot about how can we actually get community into medicine. And I think that's going to be one of the biggest tasks and, and something that's going to be really, really powerful. So some of the ways that we see it right now, uh, what, some of our doctors are doing functional medicine group visits where essentially instead of seeing one patient at a time and going, you know, from room to room, you might see 16 people with Hashimoto's thyroiditis together. And so think about it like this, like one, one of those people could be a patient that's come all the way through your program and can sing its praises because they've come out the other side. And then you have like social proof Two. People want to hear from how people are dealing with these symptoms. Like these symptoms obviously have an impact on your life. And part of your quality of life is trying to work out how do I deal with this every day? So you have that sort of, you know, support and people talking about how they eat, sleeping tips, you know, habits, other things that have helped them, people to try. People like to hear from other people with the same issues as them. But then you also have sort of the group accountability and support. So, you know, um, my mother-in-law, uh, recently lost like a hundred pounds. And really the only difference that she had was that she had to call someone every day and tell them what she ate. She had to be accountable to someone else. And this was, again, it was a peer to peer relationship. It wasn't a paid, it wasn't a coach. It was just, they were, they were accountable to each other. And so I thought there's, you know, there's so much power in that. There's really a lot of value in that. And so we've been looking at ways to do that. And maybe the most classic example is uh, the Daniel plan, which was Mark Hyman and a couple of other functional doctors working with Rick Warren at the Saddleback Church. And what Mark Hyman saw was, look, here was, you know, here was a, what looked like a uh, 15,000 people going to the same church. But what it actually was, was groups of five to 10 people meeting 
of those 15,000 split up in groups of five to 10 doing Bible study a couple times a week independently. So it was like, let's see if we could use that community to empower behavior change. And if 15,000 people lost a combined 250,000 pounds and made all kinds of amazing um, gains with that. So again, it was free. It was valuable to everyone that this, you know, the person who knew more, the person who knew less, you know, you always want to say, if, if you want to learn something quickly, teach it. So they had this structure that really did it. And then the accountability and support was really powerful. So I feel like community is going to be the most important tool. And, you know, I would just say one other thing that functional medicine does really well and is coming into its own is understanding the microbiome and that's our internal community that's a community too and if you look at it through the community eyes these germs inside that help you so much with digestion metabolism uh, immunity we have this amazing internal relationship with them and as soon as that community goes out of whack your health goes down the drain and so uh you know so there's learning lessons in our internal community that I think we should be applying to the external community. So it's quite an elegant form of uh, medicine. And I think it's, it's time is arriving very shortly. Yeah. I love how you're talking about that. We need group support. I think that's why on Facebook, all these groups dedicated to different health conditions are so successful and uh, so that people can get support from each other and get tips and tricks. And that's also why I started my mineral power support group that's open to anyone that wants to join so they can get all, all kinds of tips on their health and how to improve their health conditions. Well, look, think about that Facebook group for a minute. You know, you've got people on there who are new, so they're getting value at no cost from all the people there. You've got, you know, the people who have been there for a while who know a lot and want to share. So they're getting value from the fact that they feel like validated and share, you know, they're sharing and they're adding value. And then you've got someone like you, who's just the person who put it together, who is probably participating in either of those two roles, but is also just facilitating it. And then you've got Facebook that is just like the, you know, the structure by it all works. So here's something that's valuable to everyone. You know, everyone is getting value from it. Facebook, you, the junior and the newbie are all getting value from it. It's all free. And I, I think that's just, um, that's the way of the future is, is how do we set up those structures that, um, you know, that empower that kind of uh, behavior change. Is there any other way that you conceive of how we can revolutionize primary medical care? I mean, there's, there's, I think, you know, community is a big part. I think, um, you know, functional medicine is the operating system and those, those two things go hand in hand. But the revolution, I think, is, is one other sort of, str uh, you know, string to the bow. One other big part of it is, is this technological revolution. I think that it's going to happen anyway. Um, I'll just give you, you know, give you an example. I was thinking this, I spoke to this lady the other day and she put something in my mind that I think, when I say it to you, you'll realize the same way is that the companies that now run our healthcare, so Aetna and Oxford and Blue Cross, right? Everyone hates them. Like they literally have like a five to 10%. They have the only company or the only organizations that have a worse rating than Congress is the insurance companies. Everyone hates them. But that's because you don't have a choice. There's nothing else there. So I'll tell you right now that Amazon and Google, all these big companies are working on a health product and it hasn't arrived yet. So you think when Amazon brings out a health insurance and they know from your purchasing and otherwise that you live healthy or otherwise, and so your insurance is now like $200 a month as opposed to a thousand, like you're going to see big companies that are going to come in, companies that we already trust and like 
develop into the health field. And I think a lot of those old companies are just going to go away, which none too soon, um, in, in my, my thought. So I think technology is going to play a huge role. And I, I only tell that story just because it's a, it's an interesting glimpse into the future to a point where, you know, a lot of businesses have made their way by having no real uh, competition because no one can really create the structure and systems that they have. But the digital revolution is allowing that in a really new and innovative way. So that's just one example. But I said before, the digital health revolution, the, you know, quantified self, I think will be a big driver of it. And um, so I, I don't think that anything necessarily, it may not look like a revolution. It may just look like, wow, I just have this much better care. Just like Uber sometimes looks like I've got this like, way better taxi. You don't think that this is a revolution in, in car sharing. You just think, wow, this is a lot better than it used to be. And I think it, I hope it'll be a bit more like that. I'm really stunned to hear that Amazon's going to be getting into the health field. And I'm actually really, really excited because I love Amazon. They do everything so efficiently yeah. and deliver everything so flawlessly that it's just, uh, it's just so natural that they would go into healthcare. I mean, I, I can't say it for sure, but I was speaking on a panel with people who know a lot more than I do about it. And when they said that, I was just, I walked home thinking about it, just thinking, wow, we haven't even seen the beginning of this transformation. And you know, the good news is, is that until it happens, you can take control of, of your own health and play whatever role you want to do in that. Um, but just know that some disruption is coming and generally those kind of things work out really well for the consumer. Can you talk a little bit about a subject that's a little bit, you know, controversial and how, what, I mean, what is your opinion about the government and big pharma kind of being in bed together to profit on our sickness? Um, yeah, like I mean, it's a, it is a, it is a tricky topic. I would say uh, five years ago, I was like mad and I really wanted to like rebel and, you know, do that kind of thing. But then I, I sort of caught this, I got that book, that Bucky Fuller quote. Um, you know, he said, you never change anything by fighting the existing reality to change something. You have to build a new model that makes the old model obsolete. And I just thought to myself, you know, I could probably be really angry about this for a long time, but all of these things, like for whatever reason and however I managed to put myself in this situation, I can see that this is an operating system that solves a lot of this problem. And by being in the middle of this and making this grow, we could probably solve that problem again. So I think, look, it's, it's ugly. I mean, it's definitely clear. I've seen, you know, films like Trace Amounts I just saw last week, which really looks at you know, how so much mercury got into our environment and what it causes for health. And it's, and it's shocking. And the cover up of it is even more shocking. So I think, yeah, it's definitely an unholy alliance. There's definitely examples of regulatory capture where the regulators that are meant to be regulating the companies get captured by the company and sort of do the company's bidding, um, which, you know, is, is really a, a terrible, you know, a terrible situation. But again, I, I feel, I feel like sort of pleasantly optimistic that one, the truth will out. People are really learning about this in a way through the internet or otherwise there's not just one mouthpiece because the media has been really complicit in as well. Yeah. And so, you know, the media is complicit in it. You see who owns what and how the information gets out. So it's really exciting that you can control your own media. I mean, here we are, you have your own podcast. I have my own podcast. You have your own thing and, and it has the potential to scale to infinity. You know, you've seen people, activists out there like Food Babe who are causing a real stir because they're 
they're talking about things that no one should be really talking about and people are starting to take take notice so you know there's there's a you can look at everything that happens day to day as either a positive or a negative about five years ago i just decided i was going to be positive about it and that um there were enough people who had a lot of the pieces and could see it that we could work together and just seeing you know what's happening in silicon valley where smart people are not afraid to disrupt big industries that has me you know very very excited that um you know uh, the the sort of the power of the human spirit will overcome what's been been holding us back but yeah i mean look the incentives work in to answer your original question, the incentives work in a horrible way. You know, if you're, if people stay just, you know, just sick enough to take medication, but not dead, if they stay in that position, they're extremely profitable. And I think at the end of the day, you know, if you have a profit driven system with that system set up, there's always going to be people that take advantage of it. And I think, um, you know, I think it's time for change. Yeah, I agree. I absolutely agree. You can vote with your dollars too. You know, every time you vote to get your media from different sources, you know, you're seeing right now like HBO suddenly available on Apple TV and you don't need to have cable anymore. I got rid of TV six years ago and I see that, okay, enough people do it. Then they realize, okay, there's a market here. Or if you vote third party in a, in an election, maybe your vote doesn't mean anything that day, but it's sort of a signal that to other people that, Hey, look how many people did it last time. So it takes a long time sometimes for these things to work out, but anything you buy, anything you do is a signal for the rest of the uh, system. That's the market system. And so by living your truth and making the decisions that you, that you want to make based on what you really think is, is you'd like to see in the world, um, you know, does, does create change to whatever degree you do it. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, how you're personally creating change with the evolution of medicine summit. You, you held that last year and you're holding it again in September, correct? Can you yep. tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So our first year was really just to set a foundation of the ways in which we saw that medicine was evolving, um, however slowly or fast. So, uh, you know, the movement from doctor to patient centric, the movement towards, um, you know, food is medicine from food is fuel, you know, technology coming into medicine, um, the understanding of the microbiome, the understanding of the mind body connection. You know, that's what, that's what we focused on in the first year, uh, was really laying out the foundation of this shift. So we had a, we had a patient track and we had a doctor track. So patients, it was, you know, it's all free and available online. And so patients could listen to the things that were really designed for them on how to keep themselves and their family healthy. And what were some structures that really created change, like the power of family, the power of community, that kind of thing. Um, and then we had training for doctors. So be like, okay, this is a day of like, we, we chose to focus on the, uh, the gut. Um, the brain gut connection just because the week that we were doing our event was the, uh, the the first journal of that came out as a medical journal so and then also speaking to doctors about the sort of practical aspects of delivering this kind of care so it really set a solid footprint for who we are and what we do and I was really glad for it we had an amazing response um, you know, it was, it was great to get so much feedback from all across the world. You know, we got onto the Huffington Post for five days. We did a whole five days of segments with them that was really fun too. Um, so I think people sort of, you know, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun to do. And I'm really proud of the people that we had come to speak. Uh, this year we're doing it again in September. And the focus this year is going to be on, on healthcare from scratch. You know, when I did my TED talk back in April, it was actually March. 
um, I did it in this, this, city, this little island called Guernsey. And Guernsey is a tiny island between England and France. It's got the smallest amount of bureaucracy of any... There's no, it's not in the EU. It's not in the UK. And the guy who organized it was like, you know what? If ever there was going to be a sort of a Petri dish where you could do something completely new with 65,000 people, which is, you know, the size of a small town, you know, and, and here you have an island where you could sort of maybe get venture capital to pay for a new medical system to be built without asking for permission, what would you do? You know, what would be the building blocks of a new medical system? And that's really what I want to focus on for this year is, is what are the building blocks? And I think that, you know, we're going to focus on people that have won a really strong message as far as like what a building block of the new, um, the new medical system would look like. But also those who have been able to scale up their message, you know, to a lot of people, because there's a lot of doctors that have a crazy amount of information. Like I've met so many brilliant doctors, but there's a real art to communicating that in a way that really scales out to a lot of people. Um, and so we're, that's what we're really focused on for this year. And then who knows next year, but I really think that it's an interesting conversation to have what would you do if you could start from scratch? Because most of us are really just stuck in the mindset of how do we evolve this behemoth that is really not designed for what we need and how do we like chip away at the edges to try and make it a little bit better. But the truth is, is that as technology just increases, the distance between what we're doing and what we're capable of just keeps growing. And so what I would like to do is like, how can we just get over there and start over there rather than like having to just you know, move this thing across. So that's, that's the conversation I want to engage this year because I think there's a lot of people who are interested in it, ready for it and want to be part of it as well. That's the cool thing is that this medicine is participatory by anyone who's watching this, making better decisions in the supermarket or otherwise you're participating in. When I first moved to Georgia, I moved the first place I moved when I moved to America was Georgia, Mm. not even Atlanta, rural Georgia. Right. So there was a supermarket and the food there was, you know, there was no natural food. There was, you know, it was all just, it was, it was no good. Now, 10 years later, I go back and that place is completely different. There's a huge organic section. There's all kinds of healthy recipes, half the store basically. And I've like, wow, in 10 years that just happened uh, because people were making different choices. Imagine the impact as this accelerates forward. And that's, that's what I'm excited to see. Yeah, I'm really excited to see doctors changing from providing traditional medical care and moving towards functional medicine because we need so many more medical, uh, you know, functional medicine doctors and integrative practitioners. Um, can you talk a little bit about how someone can transition, a physician can transition from primary traditional medical care to functional medicine? Absolutely. Well, we're, we're looking to be that you know, that transition agent. So if you come to, you know, functional forum and you sign up, you know, we have um, evolution of medicine concierges who can help to really understand your unique position and put you in touch with some tools. Obviously there's a couple of things. One is the clinical side of things. So you have to learn a new operating system. And in a certain way, it's a tricky proposition because you have to unlearn quite a little bit to be able to do this. You know, you have to unlearn a little bit. And those doctors that have done it, they've had to un- unlearn quite a lot. But you also see that nurse practitioners, naturopathic doctors, physicians assistants, osteopaths, certain chiropractors, you know, these 
in certain cases have to unlearn a little bit less. And so, you know, nurse, there's a lot of nurse, nurse practitioners that are stepping up to deliver it as well. Um, so the clinical part is one part, but then what I think is the, and there are organizations already that do that really well. The IFM, um, functional nutrition 101, you know, there are other organizations that are really designed to make it easy for doctors to understand functional medicine from that point of view. And, uh, I think IFM is, is certainly the leader and, you know, other, other groups coming along there. And that's Dr. Mark Hyman's. Yeah. I mean, he's the chairman of it, but it's been around since 1991 and, um, it's got, you know, it's got a really foolproof system for giving people the structure of how to understand it. But there are a lot of doctors that have taken that training and still aren't doing functional medicine because it's difficult to do it in private practice. And what you've actually seen in medicine in the last few years is an opposite move where people are moving into working for hospitals because it's really hard to make it in private practice. Yeah. So what we're focused on at the evolution of medicine is the non-clinical aspects of how to run a successful, what we call micro practice. And the reason why we can say micro practice is it's low overhead. And one of the things that I hear from doctors is that they feel like there's no way they can quit their job because they have a life and a family and everything, quit their job at X hundred thousand dollars per year that they get in the hospital system and then just switch over and have this micro practice waiting for people, uh, practice waiting for people to come in. But with the micro practice, that's often the transition for most practitioners. You just don't see that. You see the big functional medicine practice and you say, wow, like I couldn't have this. Look at the overhead. Look how many people are working here. But what you didn't see is five years ago, they just had one office in another office's, in another practice's office. And they were just doing their thing there. And they built up, you know, patients and then, you know, um, team. And it was just this build that came to that. So what we want to do is really make it easy to build that micro practice because one, this medicine is not is not technologically advanced. Like it's really a lot of just me and you talking. Yeah. And so you don't need a lot of structure for that. I mean, even telemedicine is stepping up where you can see a doctor on your phone. And I think that's really exciting too, because again, think of all the structure. When I say that the, the infrastructure that needs to be evolved, think of like hospitals and buildings and all of these things that you're going to have to retool them for chronic disease management. You don't need as much stuff. You don't need as many things for this. You just need a human connection. You need empathy. You need, you know, an understanding of the different role. The patient understands their role. The doctor has a slightly different role because they need to be empowering people, which is not a skill set of doctors, but coaching is something that's come from business that really fits nicely into that and really um, creates behavior change in a way that the medical profession has never really had to do. So, um, yeah, so, so what we're focused on is really helping doctors understand that non-clinical transition. What are the technologies? What are the structures that really would make it easy for you to start this one Saturday a month? You know, get a few patients, get some experience, then go to two days a week, then, you know, move into that. And eventually you can have that practice that you want where you can, you know, not have the same. That's what the other thing is. I speak to so many doctors. They're so stressed. Um, they can't live, they're telling their doctors, we've got to reduce your stress. Meanwhile, they've still got 15 <laughs> more patients and it's four o'clock and they still haven't done their charts and their kids from school, you know, all of this. And the most horrific example of that is the level of physician suicides, which is terrible. And it's a real travesty and you're seeing it now younger and younger with, with students. And so what we want to do is really create a sort of a, 
a structure, not a franchise because you can't really do that in medicine, but a structure whereby which a doctor could be able to come in, do this type of medicine, have a, have a healthy relationship with their life and their family. And um, that's, that's what I hope that we can do. Yeah, I think that's so valuable because I think a lot of doctors go through medical training and they're not taught how to create a practice, how to run a business. And that's very much a part of being a, a practitioner, to be a successful practitioner. And I think that many functional medicine doctors and even people like myself, who is an FDN, a functional diagnostic nutritionist, are kind of becoming the Netflix of, of film where they put blockbuster, blockbuster out of business, this bricks and mortars type uh, you know, uh, way of doing things and into the digital era where you can see someone. I have clients all over the world and there isn't any need to see someone face to face. I can see them, uh, you know, over Skype or what have you, or even on my phone yeah. and you can, um, treat them and, uh, you know, give them advice that way. I think it's such a better model because people have, uh, you know, much more power in who they choose as their health practitioner. They don't have to be in their small town in Georgia and pick, you know, the one yeah. doctor in that town. I think it's so empowering for patients and so far reaching for health practitioners and physicians to be able to practice medicine in that way. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's part of the exciting part of it is that, you know, that, that is, there is that potential. And, you know, think about the words like what really got into my mind was the two words, primary and care, right? What does that come to mean? It's come to mean like a seven minute visit with a doctor who literally has two tools at his disposal or three. I mean, surgery, he's not going to do it. Primary care, he's going to refer. So referral into a specialist or uh, or some sort of drug therapy there. That's like literally the only two options they have. And I'd like to tell your listeners, and this is something that um, I didn't really plan on sort of telling everyone a little down the road, but I'll give you a preview is that when your doctor, when your primary care doctor makes a referral to a specialist, you have no idea why they're making that referral. Because what's happening now is more and more doctors, as they form part of a hospital system, they then get told, okay, now you're an employee you need to send more people to the rheumatologist. You need to send more people to the psychiatrist. You need to send more people there. So then the, the doctor is under pressure to say, look, you've only sent five people to the psychiatrist this month. You know, this person's coming in with some anxiety. It's probably a good idea for you to send them on. Like that is happening. I've spoken to doctors. I know that's happening and it's disgusting. Yeah. And if patients knew that that was happening, they would lose all faith in the primary care system, which I hope will happen. Yeah. But only once we have enough practitioners like yourself who can provide real primary care, primary, what's primary, what comes first, primary prevention starts with the patients, not involved with the doctor at all. It's way of the doctors. Like, I hope that what we see as medicine now will be this acute care system that hopefully we never have to engage with. Yeah. Right. And if you get hit by a truck or otherwise you need that system, it's really good at doing what it does, but it's in context. It shouldn't be part of primary prevention. It shouldn't be part of chronic disease management really generally. So I think that primary is, you know, that should be more primary and having a relationship with someone on your phone or otherwise where you can, you know, get them right now and they know who you are and you have a good relationship. I think that's good. And then care, the care of someone else, the empathy to ask the right questions to really uncover, you know, the triggers or the environmental issues that may be driving your health condition right now or the relationships or whatever that might be. But then also care, primary care, like taking care of yourself to a certain degree with what you were saying earlier, really taking responsibility that that care can't fall on anyone else. Like it really has to fall on you. You know, there's not enough, 
unless you have three minders who are like feeding you and exercising you and otherwise, which is insane, it's never going to happen. Um, you know, you need to take that primary care yourself. So I think reclaiming primary care is a big part. That's why I called our initial business revive primary care because I was like, that needs reviving. Um, and maybe we'll come back to, you know, to that part. But at the moment, we're just hyper-focused on making sure that the doctors can deliver this kind of medicine because you have to make sure that the demand and supply doesn't get too out of whack because otherwise, uh, you know, it won't be sustainable. The same thing that you talked about with doctors sending out referrals uh, because yeah. they're under pressure to, the same thing is happening with Big Pharma as well where doctors uh, earn rewards for writing a certain number of prescriptions. Can you talk a little bit about that, about how doctors win trips uh, for writing yeah. X number of prescriptions, et cetera? I mean, it, it's been so obvious. Um, you know, John Oliver did an awesome expose of it a few weeks ago on his show that was amazing and just really got to the heart of it. You, you don't know. You know, you don't know what those incentives are behind it. You can be sure that the pharmaceutical companies have all the data so they can know where to massage and where the leverage is. Now, some of the most like ridiculously obvious things have been taken away. So you can't like literally just give doctors money in the way that you might have been able to do in the past. And so now it has to be a little bit different. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's an ugly business. And so I would just say, you know, the thing that I would say is that the majority of people like yourself who are delivering this kind of care, they're not doing it because they're doing it because they, they see that they wanted to help people. And that I feel what, what is, what this industry has at this very moment that it may not have forever as it becomes bigger is that the majority, the vast majority of the people that I've met who are in it really care and really want to do the right thing and have got into doing this because they, you know, because they love what they do and they want to help people. And so I think that finding the provider with the right intentions is probably your best bet. And that could be a functional MD. It could be a regular MD. There's a lot of regular MDs who aren't doing functional medicine who really care and do deliver great care. Um, but I also feel like, you know, the other providers that deliver this type of medicine, um, you know, is a better choice. Like I, you know, for my daughter's health or two, you know, we have a chiropractor that we really like and she's very well versed in functional medicine. Now if she has a, if there's a, you know, an, an emergency, I know where to go for emergency medicine, but I don't interact. I don't interact my child with emergency medicine unless it's an emergency. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I'm very lucky that I'm, you know, able to care for my daughter for the most part, because I don't want to lend out her care to anyone else and definitely not going to give her medications or yeah. anything like that. So it's wonderful to have a functional medicine uh, practitioner, like a chiropractor on your, on your side, on yeah. your team. And that's been a, a building trust over a period of time. I know her, I trust her. You know, I've, I've seen, I've, I've spent time with her and there's just a really good solid foundation of that relationship. So, you know, that's, that's really important to me. Well, I have a question that I like to ask all of my guests on the podcast. Okay. What in your opinion is the most pressing health issue in the world today? I mean, it, I mean, it's come back to what we started with. I mean, it's definitely chronic disease. It's definitely like the World Economic Forum says it. They say what is the, the biggest thing that's holding back, um, holding humanity back, chronic disease. You know, I, I grew up in South Africa and people like people think Africa and they think, oh, these 
you know, have acute diseases. And, you know, and I think a lot of people who have never been outside of America think that, okay, in the rest of the world, people are still having dysentery and here we don't. But, you know, in Africa, the biggest problems are the non-communicable diseases, the chronic diseases everywhere. When Mark Hyman went to, um, Haiti, he tells the story of going there after the hurricane. And he was like, what's the number one diagnosis of people coming in thinking it was going to be diphtheria or something like that? No, it was diabetes. And so, you know, this is the biggest pressing issue and we have to work it out. So I, I feel like chronic disease in all of its forms is the most pressing issue. And, um, you know, that's why I'm really just super focused on getting this right. Yeah, and the primary primary uh, medical system of care really doesn't do a good job with managing chronic diseases. It's just managed with medication. Yeah, no, that, I mean that's it. Most of these chronic most chronic diseases don't have a single event that led to it, and so medicine designed on a single event, uh, like an infection or trauma or otherwise, is inappropriate. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No I problem. really appreciate it. It's been great to be here with you and thanks for all your great work. And, uh, you know, we'll all put our heads together on how to get to 110. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about where they can find you and a little bit more about your future plans, et cetera. Yeah. So, uh, you can go to, if you're, if you're a patient looking for, you know, for that, that you can go to reviveprimarycare.com and on there, if you sign up, we have, what we've identified as sort of maybe the four major causes of chronic disease that are sort of under your, um, uh, you know, under your control and to, to do that. If you're a provider or if you know doctors, I would go to functionalforum.com. Uh, it's a monthly show. It's the first Monday of the month. And, uh, if you watch, you know, watch the show, we've got all of the archives on our YouTube channel. That hopefully is a place where a doctor could be introduced to some of these concepts. And once they start, you know, introduced to some of these concepts, they'll want to know, okay, what do I do next? And we'll be able to, you know, give them those structure. So functionalforum.com or reviveprimarycare.com are the best places. And then September 21st to 28th, we'll have evolutionofmedicinesummit.com. And um, that's going to be going to be fun too. Yeah, I can't wait for that. I helped to promote the last event and I thought it was a wonderful event and Thank you. I was very, very impressed with what you put together in the lineup of doctors. It was just fantastic. So I definitely recommend it to anyone uh, that definitely sign up next year. If you're on the newsletter, you'll be hearing about it as well, for sure. Thanks so much, Wendy. It's been great to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on again. I really appreciate it. And listeners, if you want to learn more about how to heal your health conditions naturally, you can tune to live2110.com, learn all about detox and healthy diet, modern paleo diet. And again, thank you so much for listening to the Live to 110 podcast.